set up a dollar cost averaging type of purchasing mutual funds and index funds, you're avoiding that emotional, should I wait? Should I buy now? It seems like the stock is going up. Should I wait until it goes back down? You're in that place where you have to try to time it at the right time to buy it. And more than likely, you'll get it wrong most of the time. Welcome to Getting Money Right, a show dedicated to helping you achieve financial freedom through education and inspiration so that you can be free to pursue your true life's purpose. We're your hosts. I'm David Thompson here with Leo Sabo. And in this episode of Getting Money Right, we're continuing a multi-part series on investing. Yep. So, Leo, I'm actually really excited. I have a quick update for you, some things I've been working on. Good. Uh, earlier today... I was using the rule of 72 to calculate the number of years it was going to take me to be able to live off of my investment income while using the 4% rule. Hmm. Now, of course, I'm hoping that the bull market will continue and my strategy of dollar cost averaging and rebalancing is going to help smooth out the ride. Yes, of course. Of course. So I've been trying to find an advisor who's going to execute my market price trades in a fiduciary fashion. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm hoping to avoid the next bear market with a few stop limit pricing strategies, you know, for the sale of my diverse portfolio assets. Of course. Uh, and I want the best investments for me. Uh, I don't want something that just seems suitable to a salesman. So that's the quick wrap up of what hmm. I've been up to. What have you been doing, Leo? <laughs> uh, I'm wondering why you're speaking a different language that I'm aware of, because I'm not sure what you just said. <laughs> um, actually, I do know what you said, but I'm sure most of our audience is probably wondering, what is David up to? Yes. So why don't you break down what you just said so that we know what we're all talking about? Well, we're in this investment series and investments, that the whole lingo, mm-hmm. the whole language of the investment world is filled with jargon and these little words that have a big meaning. You know, there's a lot behind them. And so rebalancing, uh, the fiduciary standard versus suitability, the rule of 72, the 4% rule, uh, dollar cost averaging, mm-hmm. bull and bear markets, uh, a market price versus a limit price when you go to make a transaction at a brokerage. A brokerage, right? Even mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Even, even the name of the place that you buy and sell. It sounds like jargon. And so in today's episode, we're going to break down some of these words so that when you hear them, uh, you have a deeper understanding of what they mean Mm. and that it's something that you feel very confident and comfortable with so that if you do go to work with a financial advisor or if you begin to look at investing on your own, when you're reading, when you're learning, when you're growing, you have a baseline of language to understand what is being said to you and to help you feel more confident about making the right investment purchases. Yeah. I also would encourage you to check out our website and make sure that you look at some of these definitions we're going to talk about today. These terms, because we don't use them every day, it's very easy to not remember what they mean. For instance, I was just talking to David a minute ago that whenever I look at doing any kind of purchasing, whether it's a, again, a limit or market, I have to remind myself, like, what does this mean again? (laughs) I I have to kind of go back and Fortunately, on Vanguard, you can if you just scroll over it, it gives you a quick definition. So it's okay not to remember these. It's not language we deal with every single day. Over time, they'll become normal terms for you that you'll understand the meaning of. But my point is, go to our website, go to this podcast, and make sure that you look at the notes that we're going to put on this episode, because it's going to have all this broken down, so that if you do need to go back and refresh, what does this mean? 
you'll have a good definition of it on there. Yeah, just jump on to leosabo.com and click on the podcast section and you can see all the previous podcasts. You can download the podcast to listen to them later. Of course, you can listen on iTunes or Spotify or Stitcher or any Google Android podcast device. Uh, but I recommend going over to Leo Sabo just so that you can see all the show notes and the teaching notes uh, from what we're doing today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So the first, you know, technical piece of jargon that we want to break down, the first term is rebalancing. Mm-hmm. And so this one uh, is actually pretty common sense when you start to think it through. Uh, so when something gets out of balance, you typically reset it, uh, and that's called rebalancing. You move it back into alignment or into balance. So if you're driving a two-wheel drive vehicle, uh, which my car is two-wheel drive, usually the front tires start to wear out first just due to the general wear and tear of turning the wheel, right? You mm-hmm. turn the steering wheel, it turns yep. those front wheels. Uh, most of your acceleration and braking is first applied to those front wheels. And so because those front wheels will typically wear out slightly faster or the inside will wear out or the outside will wear out, you will rotate those tires with your back tires. You'll actually mm-hmm. have the, the tire company come take off the front tires, switch them with the back tires, actually transition them across the car as well. Yep. And so you rotate those tires to balance the wear and tear. Right. So with investing, some of your investments are going to go up and some of your investments are going to go down. But you had a general balance when you first stepped into your investment approach. You're like, okay, I want to have uh, a a consistent um, baseline of investments. But some went up and some went down. So it's time to rebalance them, to sell the ones that have gone up because you're selling them when they're high and to buy more of the ones that have gone down because you're buying them when they're low, you're buying them at their cheapest, and you rebalance back to an equilibrium uh, of where you started. Yeah, the point here is whenever you're investing, whether it's in an IRA or a 401k, an employer-sponsored 401k, you're going to choose different mutual funds, different index funds, whatever you're choosing from the available funds that you have through your plan, you're going to choose a percentage for each one. So for instance, let's say you decide 25% is going to be aggressively in stocks Mm -hmm. and maybe 10% will be in international. And as you do that over time, Every time you get paid, that percentage from that deduction, let's say you're putting 10% per paycheck into the 401k, that money will be distributed in those percentages that you've chosen. As you do that and you're purchasing and those values continue to increase, decrease over time, it'll change to where maybe what you intended to have is 25% into, let's say, stock alone Mm -hmm. might be 35 or 40% because that's done well over the last few years. So that's what we're talking about when we're saying rebalancing is that you're bringing it back to that percentage that you want that's a good balance over a long period of time. Yeah. So most people will look at a basic combination of stocks and bonds and sometimes real estate. But let's just say you did 50% stocks and 50% bonds. Well, if the stock market goes up and does well, Mm -hmm. you may be sitting on 80% stocks, which is not what you originally planned Mm -hmm. because it it signifies more risk to your portfolio because stocks tend to go up and down with more fluctuation, with higher degrees of movement than bonds do. And Mm -hmm. so if you're maybe in retirement or, uh, you know, you only have a short investment window, you want to rebalance it back to that 50%, 50%. And you may do this across mutual fund types. So we talked about this in our places to invest episode just a few back. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talked about how 
one basic portfolio or range of investments you may choose is you may put 25% of your uh, investments into a large cap mutual fund. Mm -hmm. You may put 25% into a medium cap mutual fund, 25% into a small cap mutual fund, Mm -hmm. and 25% into an international mutual fund. This would put you in some very large companies, medium-sized companies, small companies that tend to go up and down a little bit more with variance. And then international keeps you from only experiencing the U.S. market. It allows you to experience how the world is doing in investment Mm -hmm. uh, or these large companies that are in that mutual fund. Well, let's just say that the small caps go way up because something's going on in the economy where small businesses have an aggressive edge to grow faster in a certain time period. And you end up owning way more small cap than you do large cap or international. Well, you don't want to always have a lot of small companies as the bulk of your investment strategy. So you want to rebalance it back to Mm -hmm. that 25, 25, 25, 25. Yeah. Is that too many 25s? Whatever it was, (laughs) you get the point. As long Uh, as you have 100%, you're good. Yeah, get to 100%. If you can figure out a way to get to 125%, call me. (laughs) Yeah. And here's the other thing to consider is how often do you rebalance your portfolio? How often do you think... Uh, this goes out of balance. And I would say probably a minimum of at least once a year. But if you see six months of considerable growth in an area where you see that balance go out of whack a little bit, it's okay to rebalance it sooner. But our recommendation is that at least once a year, you examine all your allocations and you rebalance them to your original intent. So rebalancing, we recommend that you do it. We recommend that you do it probably at least once a year, but some people do it a little more often. There's not a specific timetable for it, Mm -hmm. uh, but we recommend you do it. All right, now that's rebalancing. Let's talk a little bit about the fiduciary versus suitability standards. That's right. There are investment advisor and their investment brokers. Both tailor their investment advice to individuals and institutional clients, but there's significant difference between the two that we want to make you aware of. First of all, brokers work for broker dealers, and they are not governed by the same standards. Investment advisors, on the other hand, work directly for clients and must place their client's interest ahead of their own. So according to the Investment Advisors Act of 1940, this is what they must do. Now, brokers, however, serve the broker-dealers they work for and must only believe that the recommendations they're making are suitable for the clients. Yeah, that's good. So uh, we really want to highlight this. When you're talking to somebody who is, quote-unquote, an advisor or a financial expert, Mm -hmm. they may be a broker who sells things. Or they may be an actual advisor who's registered to give advice in an area. And you need to know the difference between somebody who's there to broker to sell something or somebody's there to advise you. So when you're looking for an advisor, you want to look for some basic designations. Uh, One is the certified financial planner and the other is the certified financial analyst, the CFP and the CFA. These are two of the premier designations Mm -hmm. or certifications in the financial industry. Now, there's a lot of certifications out there that use the word certified and finance and expert and, you know, they sound counselor, they sound great. And some of them have some merit, but these are the two kind of premier in the industry. So if you're Mm -hmm. talking to a financial advisor, 
I would personally want to be talking to a CFP or a CFA. And for me, somebody who is uh, kingdom advisor certified as well, mm. uh, which is another designation that's great. So to become a CFP, you've got to basically go through a large set of courses, pass a seven hour test. Mm -hmm. And the board of the CFP is there to make sure that you do it legit. You know, that you don't cheat, that there's no way that you're getting around something. The pass rate is below 70%, which means the test is difficult. It yep. usually takes months to study for these tests. There are usually programs and whole classes geared around studying for these. Yep. Uh, and then you have to work with a certified financial planner uh, in order to gain a certain number of hours of experience in the field. I know people that it has taken somewhere between two to four years to complete their CFP mm -hmm. because it can be fairly rigorous. You can yep. do it a little bit faster, but it just takes time and energy and usually a lot of good experience that comes along with that. Yeah, agreed. Now, a CFA, a certified financial analyst, is also an expert in investments and securities. And the program for becoming a CFA requires candidates to master 10 investment topics and also pass three levels of rigorous exams. So working with a CFA is an excellent choice because you're looking for an investment manager. And these guys are probably top of the line as far as their education and their training goes. Yeah. It's really probably the highest, if not the highest, recognized certification in the world. Yeah, so we're talking about a fiduciary standard versus a suitability standard. And you want to work with an advisor who is a fiduciary mm -hmm. to you. What that means is that they have to put your best interest first. first. Yeah. So when they recommend a financial investment or they make a recommendation to your overall financial journey, if they're a fiduciary, that means that they are doing what is financially best for you. Mm -hmm. Now, if they're a broker and their whole job is to sell for a broker dealer, just a big company that sells investments, then they only have to apply to a suitability standard. Mm -hmm. And suitability is basically saying, hey, is this, is this at a baseline suitable for this person? It's not the best, but it's suitable. It'll yeah. work. We're not ripping them off. We're not, we're not destroying their finances by recommending this investment. What happens, and this is kind of the general conflict of anytime somebody is selling something, is that there's going to be a built-in uh, fee margin for that mm -hmm. person who's doing the selling. That's not a bad thing, but it can create a conflict of interest. And so you may work for a company, if you're a broker that is not a fiduciary, that is pushing you to sell a product that has a higher fee. And while it still may be suitable for the investor, yeah. it's not in the investor's best interest because right. there may be another fund or another investment that is a lower fee mm -hmm. and has the same rate of return or better. And so this is what you've got to be aware of. Uh, personally, I would probably, I can't think of a place where I would do business with somebody who only has a suitability standard yeah. versus a fiduciary standard. I want somebody who they are required by law and by their designation to do what is in my best interest because I am hiring them. I'm not going to hire somebody who's going to give me mediocre advice. And right. so be looking for that fiduciary standard. The easiest way to find out is to simply ask the financial advisor that yep. you're talking to, are you a fiduciary? Mm -hmm. And let that sit and see what they do. <laughs> uh, if they're a good financial advisor, they'll immediately have a response. They'll be able to say yes, no, and they'll be able to explain why and how they're compensated. Yeah. And it's okay to ask them to show you that in writing because it is by law. They yes. have to agree to that. So. Now, another question you can ask is, do you receive any type of compensation in addition to what I'm paying you? Because some advisors receive commissions or some other product-based compensation when they steer clients into 
a particular investment product, such as mutual funds, annuities, and variable annuities. So this is a clear conflict of interest and can indicate that the advisor is not, in fact, a fiduciary. So make sure your advisor is providing unbiased advice and not simply selling you investment products. That's right. And it is possible for somebody to be dual registered, where they're registered as a broker mm -hmm. and as a fiduciary. And so you just want to figure out, or as an advisor and a broker, you want to make sure that this person has your best interest at heart and that legally they're required to do the best for you. And they walk you through the investment they're putting you in. Yeah. And at least you know, or at least you should know which hat they're wearing and when they're trying to either sell you something or actually give you advice on something. But these are important questions for you to ask to make sure that you're receiving the kind of advice that's the best advice for you because these folks are have a fiduciary responsibility to do so. And again, there's a lot of information on this that you can continue to, to research and find out. But ultimately, if you look for those two designations, a CFP or a CFA, you're in pretty good company there because these folks had to work really hard to get that designation. It, it wasn't just a quick test that they took and now all of a sudden they're a financial expert. It took time for them to develop that knowledge and then build that experience. That's right. Well, let's talk about dollar cost averaging. This is another term that you might hear tossed around. It's probably not something that uh, you hear in everyday conversation or even just in general as you're talking to investment uh, advisors or somebody that you're talking about investing with. But here's the concept. In general, we all know that the stock market as a whole or really any investment in general is going to go up and down mm -hmm. over time. Right. Uh, there's going to be times where it goes up. And I'm, I'm thinking specifically of the stock market right now because there's a little bit more volatility. So sometimes it goes up 10% in a day and then down 5% in a day. And over a month, it may go up you know, 20% or it may go down 20%. And so there can be these big swings. Now, it's rare. We haven't had a 20% dip in mm. over 10 years. I'm not yeah. saying this happens all the time. But what happens is every month you may be experiencing the market as a, at a high point for that year or at a low point for that year. And every month that you take your paycheck and you go buy a consistent amount of investment. So imagine that uh, Leo and I've talked about regularly investing 10% of your income, potentially 15% of your income. It mm -hmm. depends on your situation and more depending on what your goals right. are. Right. Uh, but let's say you take 10% of your income every month and you put it into investments. And let's say that 10% is for easy, easy numbers. It's going to be a big number here, but let's say it's $1,000. Mm -hmm. So let's say every month you put $1,000 into an investment. Well, one month over the course of a year, um, that investment may be started $1,000 for one stock. By the end of the year, it may be $2,000. But over time during that year, it may have gone up to 1000 and 100 or it may have gone down to 500 and so as you buy, one month you may be buying at 1100 one month you might buy at 500 the next month you may buy at 1500 the next month you may buy at 800 mm -hmm. What is happening is some months you're buying a little high and spending a little bit extra. Some months you're buying a little bit low. But on average, your dollar cost over time is going to even out to really make that ride, that journey of growing your investment over time, it's going to make it smoother. Mm -hmm. And so this is called dollar cost averaging. And the basic idea is just that you put the same amount or a simple, consistent amount over a long period of time, and it will help to smooth out the big fluctuations in the market. Sometimes you're buying the market cheap, sometimes you're buying it expensive, but over time, 
it smooths out to a nice average. Yeah, and actually, I think over time, depending on the where the stock goes, you'll actually buy it cheaper when you're buying it every month on a specific date because yeah. that's when you're getting paid and that's when that investment is being purchased. So as you do that, realize that most of us who have a 401k or an IRA that we're consistently putting money into, mm -hmm. we're already doing that. We're mm -hmm. doing dollar cost averaging. But what we're trying to do is help you understand how that works. And basically, is if you had all of your money up front and were to buy that stock on January 1st, mm -hmm. but that happened to be the highest point that yeah. that stock is selling, yeah. you're going to buy at the highest point. And over the year... It might fluctuate, fluctuate, go up, go down, and then maybe it'll end up lower than what you actually bought it at. Mm -hmm. But if when you do this dollar cost averaging, when you're buying it uh, systematically over a period of time, you're going to buy it low sometimes, you're going to buy it high sometimes, and over time you're going to average a much better price than buying it high and then just waiting for it to to do better, to yes. grow beyond that what you bought it. Yeah. So over time it is something that allows us to buy more shares mm -hmm. because sometimes we'll buy more shares with less money mm -hmm. or with the same amount of money, right? Because we're taking the same amount right. every month. Right. So what's what's really good about that is that it allows you to avoid that fluctuation and it literally neutralizes that volatility that we see trying to time the market when to buy the stock. This yeah. just does it automatically. It's much better if it can work out in your general financial life to be able to buy every single month or mm -hmm. every two week paycheck and just put a consistent amount in over a long period of time. And over time, you're going to raise that consistent amount as well. But it's more difficult if you just had a one-time large investment. And let's say that you are just going to put $100,000 into the stock market. Mm -hmm. It's a little bit scary because you don't know if you're investing on a day that it's about to drop by 20% the next day. Right, so right. you just lost $20,000. Mm -hmm. Or if you're investing on the day right before it goes up 20% and you're going to gain 20000 Because you don't know with a huge single one-time investment, it can be a little bit more scary. Mm -hmm. But due to dollar cost averaging, if you're doing it over 10 years and you buy some when it's low and some when it's high, over time, the average is a better price for what you're purchasing, which allows you to buy a little bit more, uh, a little bit more investments, which allows it to grow longer over time. And so it's a simple method that most people are automatically put into if they're investing through their employer. And if you don't have an employer that you're investing through, start a monthly contribution mm -hmm. and whether you know it or not you'll be taking advantage of dollar cost averaging well not only that but remember we talked about risk tolerance and how the news media and our emotions play into our investment choices so what's important here is that when you set up a dollar cost averaging type of purchasing mutual funds and index funds you're avoiding that emotional should i wait should i buy now it seems like the stock is going up should i wait until it goes back down you're in that place where you have to try to time it at the right time to buy it. And more than likely, you'll get it wrong most of the time. So this way, you're just plugging it in, avoiding that emotional up and down that would happen if you had to make that choice and buy it every single time you got paid. This way, you just put it in and forget it and just stick with the plan. So now let's talk about a simple mathematical rule of thumb that will help you to figure out how long it's going to take to build up to a certain dollar amount in your life. Mm -hmm. And this is called the rule of 72. Uh, it's a cool shortcut. And I really, I, I, I use this actually not all the time, but at least monthly when I'm helping people in their finances and I'm thinking through things, it, it's not going to get you the exact dollar amount, but it's going to help you quickly calculate uh, in any given circumstance, 
how quickly your money will double mm -hmm. over time based on the interest rate that you're getting on your investment. So Leo, how simple is this? Well, it's pretty simple. What's important here, depending on where you are in your investment career, is to realize, okay, let's say you're 35 and you haven't really started investing yet. So maybe you've got another 30 to 35 years before you reach that golden age of now I'm going to start living on some of this money that I've amassed. This is a very quick way for you to be able to say, all right, for me to reach my goal, let's say you want to have $1.2 million saved by the time you turn 70. This is a quick way to figure out how can I get there? So we're going to walk through this, but it's really a shortcut to estimate the number of years it's going to require you to double your money, but that will lead you to how much will you have 30, 35 years from now. That's right. So it's called the rule of 72. So we're going to start with that number, 72, and then you'll divide it by the interest rate that you're getting on your investment. Right. So if you're getting an 8% interest rate every year, then if you divide 72 by 8 then it's nine, so mm -hmm. it's only nine years to double your money. Right. So you had $10,000, nine years later, you've got $20,000. Right. Uh, I love this because if you look at a 10% interest rate, mm -hmm. then okay, 72 divided by 10 is about seven years, right. 7.2, but let's just go with seven years to make it simple. That means that every seven years, your money doubles. Mm -hmm. So what does that look like over a 30-year investment career, Leo? Yeah, so let's use the example that David just mentioned. So let's say you have 100000 invested and a 10% for 30 years. This is what that's going to look like. So you'll start out with $100,000. After seven years, you'll be at 200000 Then after 14 years, right, seven years later, year 14, you'll have 400000 A year 21, you'll have 800000 and then by year 28, you'll be at 1.6 million. So it's really interesting because you could just look at this and say, how can I get to that target yes. amount that I'm looking to have to make sure that I can live off of? This helps you literally in your head to do the math and figure out where am I at and how much money do I need to have? And then depending how much you have right now, you could figure out how can I get that ramped up? Because again, if you start with 100,000, you can get to 1.6 with a 10% return in 28 years. Yeah. But what if you don't have 28 years? What if you have less time or if you have less money starting out with? And now you can start with whatever you have mm -hmm. and you can figure out, do I need to increase it? What do I need to increase it to in order to reach my goal? Yeah, and the best part is that this is just talking about you know one-time investment here. But if you invest consistently mm -hmm. over your lifetime, then even the money that you're investing is over time going to double and then double and then double and then double again. Right. And so uh, I love using that 10% number, uh, not because we're guaranteed a 10% rate of return. I wish we were, that'd be amazing. Mm -hmm. But the stock market has averaged over the last 100 years about an 11.3% rate of return. Right. Uh, now it depends on which which data you use, but it ranges somewhere between nine to 11 plus percent. It's still pretty good. So if you get 10%, I mean, I love this because it's so simple. Uh, if you're 40 years old and you're sitting in your car thinking that you want to retire at 68 years old, so you've got 28 years left. Well, then if you can average 10%, you know that your money is going to double five times total. So it's going to go from 100 to 200, 200 to 400, 400 to 800, 800 to 1.6 million. So uh, it, it's incredible. I guess it doubles four times, but it's incredible because you can very quickly calculate, mm -hmm. you know, how much you need to start with and where you need to go. 
Our goal here is to help you understand very quickly what you can do as you look at your situation and what changes you might be able to make in order to improve that. So don't really focus on and say, well, I'm not 20 anymore, I'm not 25, so this isn't gonna work for me. Even if it only doubles twice. Let's say you are 50 yeah, and oh, you retire good. at 70. Okay, so if you do 10% for the next 20 years, if it only doubles once or twice, it still allows you to be able to say, hey, if I have 200,000 right now and it doubles twice, you'll be at 800,000, right? Yeah, 200 to awesome. 400, 400 to 800. So this is just a very quick way for you to be able to look at your situation and realize where am I at and how do I get to yeah. the next step? Because this helps you to figure out if I do double my money every seven to 10 years, where will I be? That's right. That's right. It's a general rule of thumb. Uh, if you want to go do the real math and plug it into an investment, you know, compound interest calculator and look at what your money is going to do over time. Uh, you also are not guaranteed whatever interest rate you're putting in. Right. But it really helps you to quickly do some calculations, which I, I love that. Uh, that's why I will, from time to time, be thinking through the rule of 72 and how it applies in any given financial situation. Yeah, I love it. And I think it's, it is something that anyone can understand and use. And it's just a way for us to be able to have a picture of where we're going and how to get there. And it's a, it's a great little rule uh, yeah. to know and maybe share with someone else. Yeah. Well, we want to thank you for joining us for this episode. We're going to continue talking about more rules and terms on the next episode. But for now, we just want to thank you for being with us. We would love for you to continue to support us through rating, reviewing, and subscribing to our podcast. Please do so on iTunes, on Google Play, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Also, share this podcast on your favorite social media platform. And while you're there, connect with us. Let us know how we're doing. Let us know how we can serve you better. If you have a specific episode or topic in mind that you'd love for us to touch on, we would love to do the research and get the information and get it out to you. And more than likely, somebody else also wants to hear the same thing. So please let us know how and what we may uh, teach on or share with you, our audience. Go to leosabo.com for resources, tools, and helpful content. There's some great content there that you can have. Most of it is free, so I'd love for you to be able to just dive in there and use whatever is useful for you. It's there for you to benefit from. Also visit stewardshippastors.com, David's website on biblical principles of handling money. And also buy David's book. It's coming out soon. Uh, you can pre-order it, Jesus on Money, a resource that I know will benefit you. There are great articles, videos, and resources added to his website. So please check that out. You're going to get a ton of information. And if you know a pastor or a church leader, a spiritual leader that could benefit from this information, please send them there. They're going to get a lot of information on how to train up and teach their congregation about biblical finance. And this is something that we all need to know. Well, thank you again for joining us. We look forward to having you join us next time so that together we, we can, can keep getting, getting money right. It's much better if it can work out in your general financial life to be able to buy every single month or every two week paycheck and just put a consistent amount in over a long period of time. And over time, you're going to raise that consistent amount as well.